Well, if you hadn't figured it out, it's an Old Testament day. We, uh, <laughs> we are um, going to talk about when God calls. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 3. First chapter, First Samuel, the third chapter. If you'd like to join with me as we read God's Word, you can stand with those that are able to, if you'd like to, as we read God's Word. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me? But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and ran, went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrificing or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I was called into the ministry at the age of 12. I had no idea what that meant. I was 12 years old, and it felt literally like somebody grabbed me by the shirt and said, listen. I felt like God grabbed me by the shirt and said, listen to me. I have something to say to you. I was 12. At that time, I knew it must be some kind of call into the ministry or something. At that time, the only ministry I knew of were missionaries and preachers. That's what I knew. If you're going to be in God's service, it had to be a missionary or a preacher. That's all I'd heard of. I, saw, I was in Puerto Rico at the time. My dad was stationed there, and um, we were in the little First Baptist Church of Saba, Puerto Rico. Now, Saba, Puerto Rico's First Baptist Church was about a mile outside the gate of the base. 
and they had built there, and it was a missionary would come and and be our pastor. And so we had a couple pastors while I was there. And that's what I knew of what ministry really was about. And I, I my maturity level, I just thought, I don't know what I want to do. But in high school, I got involved in a really good youth group, and we started talking, and, we, and I started learning. I had kind of put all this stuff in the back of my head. I said, oh, I'll get to that point someday in my life. We'll worry about that later. Maybe he really didn't call me that. Maybe I misunderstood. But when I was in that youth group that was very on fire for God, and we did a lot of cool things and did mission did choir tours and did the mission trip things and did those kind of things and worked a lot. I got involved in that. And I also got very involved in music. My, I'd been playing trumpet since I was in fourth grade. And in high school, I was playing trumpet. And then they switched me to French horn. So I was very in, in, in the music. And then our church. I was at Conway Baptist Church in Orlando, Florida. And our church called the Minister of Music and Education and Youth and, blah, 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 you know, it's one of those jobs that he had a lot of positions. I didn't know that you could be a Minister of Music. I didn't know anything about that. I had no clue. So God called me, and that time it all of a sudden became very clear. You need to look into music ministry. You can. God's call... To, is an awesome experience, and it's unique, and it's very specific, and it was very specific for me at that time. As time went on, I moved, I got, I went to college, and I went to seminary, and started pursuing that career. And I told you before, I, my goal in college and seminary was to get out. I wanted to get through it as quick as possible. That was that was the object. And while doing that, I started moving towards the minister of music side. I went to my first church was First Baptist Church of St. Cloud, Florida, down south of Orlando. And um, it was an interesting place, and they had staff members, and I was the, I was the minister of music there, and was, thought I was doing what I was supposed to do, and and moved up at First Baptist Church, on your, and that position was totally It's easy for us to find skills and abilities that let God use those in our comfort zone. That's what happened to me. I was in my comfort zone. I um, I have always believed my grandmother prayed me. My grandma, I got it. I, I, as you all know, they pray God listens. So prayers go directly straight to him without passing anything else. And it's sometimes we get caught up in, well, what if, am I supposed to be pleasing my parents, my grandparents? Or am I supposed to be pleasing God? What am I supposed to do? So here I go to First Baptist Conyers and doing just youth and having to rely on my youth ministry experience. And it was tough. It was hard. And while I was there, it was the first inkling I ever had that pastoring may be something I'd want to do. 
I let it slide for quite a while. Quite a while. Fifteen years while. A long time. But God still had other things in store for me. We don't always know. When our gifts and abilities have to be considered, but it's not all. Sometimes we have to think that our certain skill doesn't necessarily fit in certain things. And age is not important. I became a full-time pastor at age 54. Now, I've been in the ministry since age 18, if you would call part-times too. I've been in full-time ministry since age 23. And never looked back. Yeah, I did. There was a couple times I went, what are you thinking? You should be doing something else. You know. I accepted the Lord at age nine. Isaac Watts accepted the Lord at age nine. Jonathan Edwards was age seven. Henry Ward Beaker was at the age of five when he accepted. talked last week about those accepting the Lord usually do so at a younger age. And it's much more difficult the older you are. I also know Colonel Sanders was in his over 60 when he decided to start Kentucky Fried Chicken. So in other words, older age doesn't matter either. Like I said, I started pastoring at 54. And I have never regretted that decision. I probably should have listened to God a little earlier than that, maybe. But God used all kinds of things. I was, um, experience isn't always important. Like I said, I had, when I got to Conyers, I did not have any youth ministry. I had youth ministry experience, but I always had that music that I fell back on and kind of had that as my, you know, tool that I would use. And I didn't have that anymore. Had a very successful ministry there. I read Andy Stanley's book, and he's put, he's, he put, they put people in positions before they were ready. And sometimes it worked. And sometimes it didn't. And you all have probably experienced this. We have experienced this in my many, many years of, of working in churches. It's interesting that there are people that are very active and involved with no position at all. They have no responsibilities in the church at all. They're just great Sunday attenders. Then you've got those people that are Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night people. Most of the times those have some kind of job duties, but not always. But you know, there's always that one or two and I found it to be kind of young adultish, a lot age, that they are extremely involved if they have a job to do in the church. But if they don't have a job, they come when they feel like it. They really do. They need that responsibility. They need that call in their life in order for them to be really involved. I hate to admit it, my son's one of those. 
If he's got a job, when he had to run sound and he had a job to run sound, whether it was a paid position or a volunteer position, Johnny on the spot, he was there Wednesday night setting things up, Sunday mornings there to run things, make sure everything was there. When he doesn't have that responsibility, he just well sleep in on Sunday morning. Does that mean he doesn't love the Lord? Yes, he loves the Lord. Does that mean he needs work on his commitment? Yes, he does. But you know, sometimes there are people in our churches that need that opportunity to have a commitment job. And when they have it, they become all of a sudden what? More committed Christians. And it helps their walk grow. It helps them to grow. It seems kind of weird. And, but guess what? They need that opportunity. And there's no other way to cut it, but if you're in over your head, you have to depend on God. I guarantee you, every Sunday school teacher at some point or another has been in over their head. I'm telling you, they'll pull out a lesson every so often, I'll get them to tap on my door. Wes, we need to talk about Sunday school lesson Sunday. This is way over my head. And quite frankly, sometimes folks, it's over mine too. All right, I, I, I do not have all the answers. I hope you all figured that out by now. I do not have all the answers. I've had a lot of years of, of hearing a lot of answers, but I still don't have them all. And I still don't get some things. And when I was, when I first, especially when I first accepted the pastor job, and, and quite frankly, as pastor, I'm in over my head every day. I am. I have to depend on God or it doesn't happen. It literally does not happen if I'm not in tune with the Lord and keeping with Him because I am in way over my head. This, is, this, this kingdom stuff is over me. Fear is not an option. Ooh. Have I been afraid? Absolutely. And when God calls, we're afraid. Samuel was afraid. He got these calls. What is this? Who you, what you want, Eli? We, and he especially was afraid when old Eli said, now what did God say to you? Um, 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 you really don't want to know. Because he had bad news for Eli. If you listened closely to what I said, that was not good news for Eli. He wasn't saying, Eli, I know you messed up some. It's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Your kids will be okay. We'll, watch. we'll pat them on the head and say they're going to be fine. That was not what God said. He said, your kids are messing up. You did nothing about it. You did nothing about it. And guess what? Judgment's coming. We don't like to hear that word. We don't want judgment to come. That's scary stuff. Samuel did not want to deliver that message. But it was not an option. I think so many times in our walk with the Lord, we think that things are options. <laughs> you know, sharing our faith, trusting Him, not letting the world get into us. Folks, those aren't options. We're to trust the Lord. We're to let Him take the lead. We're to jump out in faith even though we're scared. Or even though it seems like we may. I cannot tell you the number of young people that I've worked with that were afraid to do what God called them to do. Some of you may have been the same way when you were younger. 
you may decide, you may have heard God's call in your life. You said, yeah, but I'm not so sure that's really, no, I don't think that's what I'm hearing. I, I, I could rattle off names of kids over the years that I watched them grapple with God's call in their life. They, they know, knew they were supposed to go in a certain direction. They knew it. They knew God was calling them to do something. But that's scary. And then the, there's that enticement of the world out there that, you know, I could, I could do this and make more money, or I could do this and have a different kind of lifestyle, or I can do this and not have to be so committed to the church all the time. You know, there's those things that come along with it. I could do this and not live in the glass house. But guess what, folks? <laughs> we all live in the glass house. We all should be following those commitment levels. We all need to do that. Now, I'm not, everybody does not, God does not call everybody to full-time Christian service. He calls a lot of people to be Christian servants in a full-time career. And my guess is he needs a lot more of those folks than he does full-time Christian service folks. The work doesn't get done except by people that have full-time jobs and are good, strong Christian servants. That's where the real work gets done. Say it all we want. We preachers could act like, yeah, we got a special call. We do have a special call. But boy, folks, it's nothing like the call of somebody that's got a full-time job and having to be Christian servants. That's where it really is. Are we spiritually asleep like Eli was? Eli had fallen spiritually asleep. He wasn't keeping up with what his kids were doing. He knew they were doing wrong, but he didn't do it. Didn't bother because he just kind of said, "Well, it'll take care of itself. It'll it'll be okay later. If I put it off till tomorrow, it'll happen." You know, my procrastination. You know, that's exactly what Eli was doing. We are so busy going through the motions instead of looking at what is really going on. Eli's sons were corrupt. They were terrible parent priests. And yet Eli did nothing. And here he was the chief. He was over them and should be telling them, look, you're not doing the right thing as a priest. You need to be straightening up or get out. It's hard to tell your kids that. He knew they were not following God's call, yet he turned and looked the other way. How many times do we do that? Samuel was receptive to God's call. He heard him. As soon as he called, jumped up and ran because he didn't know. It said, he did not yet know the Lord. This was before Samuel knew the Lord. He was working in the temple, was apparently an excellent gopher boy. <laughs> he did whatever Eli wanted him to do. He was there helping him out all the way. But yet, and he was open to when God called. And when God called, he heard it audibly. He thought it was Eli. He was sure that's who was calling. He ran over there to go find out what's going on. God's call was that open. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. We try to lean on our own understanding entirely too much. You know, I know what I understand. I know what I don't understand. 
But I do know this. When God calls us, we cannot use too much of our own understanding. We have to forget that and see that it's his ways and not ours. And he's called us. Folks, <laughs> he calls everybody in different ways. You hear me talk a lot about personal relationship with Christ. And it's just that, personal. Your call is totally different from my call. I really did almost have, it wasn't the Damascus Road experience, but it was like he grabbed me by the shirt and said, listen to me, I'm talking to you. And I remember it distinctly <clears throat> at 65 when it happened 12, at age 12. I was not looking for God to call me into that. That was never on my radar. Wasn't even close. Wasn't top 10. I'm kind of, I was kind of like my grandson. My grandson, um, you have not got to meet Brother Jacob. He's Troy's son. Jacob's my, he's like his daddy. He's got a quick sense of humor. He's uh, very, very, very smart. Too smart for his own good, really. Just a really great kid. And I'm sitting there studying for a sermon. And he's going, what you doing? I said, I'm studying for my sermon. I said, I had to do this. He goes, why are you having to study? I said, Jacob, I study more now than I ever did in high school, college, seminary, any of those. I said, I do a ton more studying now than I ever did during those days. He goes, preacher, off the list. <laughs> he wanted no parts of that stuff. He, 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 you know, that he, he was not going to be a preacher if he had to do all that studying. And, and, but it, that's a true statement. And, and that's how I was. And that's how many of us are. Whoa, God's code. I don't want off that list. We don't want to be there. We have to study his word. We have to pray and seek him. We have to trust his answer. We have to be open to the fresh look at things. You see, God's call gives you a fresh look at everything. And it's, and it's important when we, when we obey his call because he does call us individually and specifically. Um, Robert Moffat was a, a missionary, was called to be a missionary in Africa, South Africa. He was, he'd fallen in love with Mary Smith. They, I mean, they were head over heels in love. And he wanted to, get, they wanted to get married and go on to South Africa. Well, his parents were good, gave him the, you know, we, we, we understand what you're doing, we, did all the support they could for him. And so he was getting ready to do that. But Mary's parents says, no, she's not going to South Africa. She has no business going to South Africa. That's dangerous. I don't want our daughter to have any parts of that. So no, you can't. So he was in a dilemma. What should I do? Should I compromise and stay here and just work in England and do whatever I can? Or do I go to South Africa without her? He knew God called him. He knew that's what he was supposed to do. So with tears and heartache, he left and went to South Africa to be a missionary and left her behind. The good news is, three years later, parents changed their hearts. God got hold of them. And he was able to marry her three years later and take her to South Africa with him. And they had 50 years of ministry in South Africa. 
glorious ministry because he had somebody with him. You see, God changes the way we look at things and will change the circumstances around us. If we'll trust him, be I hate that patient word. We have to be patient sometimes. And you know, that took patience to wait three years, leaving the love of your life behind. I mean, think about it. Some of you may have had people go off to war or go off for a while or whatever and been separated that time. That's what it was. But he knew the call was so strong that he had to go anyway. His call was, I'm to be a missionary. And see, when we follow God's call, he will bless and he'll take care of you. When I um, was dating Janet while I was in seminary, I said, now Janet, I'm going to just tell you, before we get too, too serious, because we were getting serious, I'm going in the ministry. And that's what God's called me to do, and it's not going to be an easy life. It's going to be crazy stuff. And I don't know how you'll handle that and how, if you want to deal with that, but I just want you to know it up front. And she thought she knew what I was talking about and said, sure, no problem. So we get engaged. And while we were engaged, I took her to go meet my grandmama who prayed me into the ministry. And my parents and all of them were all in Virginia. We went over there to visit. And while we were there, they talked us into up in our wedding date. We were going to get married the next May. This was in August. The next May, we were going to get, get married. And that was when she finished nursing school. But my, my brother and my parents and all said, look, everybody's got a break after Christmas. Why don't we get married? You get married at the end of December. Oh, you know, we were young, and that, that made, that's a good thing. We'll get married early. I said, well, now I can't afford... My dad said, I'll even keep paying for your seminary after you get married that, those last couple semesters. I said, that's a big deal. This is great. So we came back. Well, we came back from that trip, and somebody in the church that I had been serving as a part-time music person had decided to pass around a little thing. Janet had worn a smock top, which were big in the 70s, to Bible school. Well, you can tell where that went. Oh, they're getting married because he has to because she's pregnant. So that was her first introduction to the ministry life. And it, what was funny was the person that spread the rumor was some of our best friends of the church's mama. And she didn't mean it to be negative. She just said, oh, isn't that nice? She said, she's expecting. And they go, well, no, she's not. They're not married yet. Oh, they have to get married because she's expecting. And took it and called all her little friends. So it had gone all through the church. Well, our good friends, luckily, were our good friends and talked to Mama and said, look, they did up the wedding date to December. She'll be showing pretty big by then if she's really pregnant. She's not pregnant. They did not have to get married. You need to call all the people you called and tell them you, didn't, you had the wrong... And that poor lady had to call all those people. But my wife 
did not know what she was getting into, even though she thought she did. And folks, when God calls, we don't always know what we're going to get into. But I can tell you this, it's a glorious life to be in the call of God. I've had a glorious ministry. God has blessed. I've got to meet all you folks. I've gotten to do things that I never dreamed I'd get to do. I, I, I look back on my 40-something years of ministry and go, wow, God, you are awesome and amazing. And he calls all of us. I know Rip's got story after story after story from being in the ministry all those years. We all do. And guess what, folks? It's not just about preacher ministry. It's about Sunday school teacher ministry and women's leader ministries and choir ministries and TVC. And you, that, those ministries that God has called you into are a glorious life. And it's what he wants us to do. So how do we respond when God calls? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Take me. Use me. And he will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your call in our lives. We open our lives up to you. We open our hearts up to you. Take us and use us any way that you can. And you will get the honor and the glory. Because you are our Savior, our Father, our God, our Creator, the Almighty One, in whose name we pray. Amen. This is a time of invitation. If you would like to, any decision you may want to make, we invite you to come as we sing.